Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, phobia, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to guide it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. Place of Holy Scripture that I will read is the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, a letter from Apostle Paul. You put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. A wonderful revelation that the Lord has given to the saints of the end times in order to prepare them to an inheritance that is unfading, pure, and that is kept in heaven for us by the power of God that is ready to be opened in the present and current time. And this revelation that is contained in this word was sent by God to the church through his apostle. Through our pastor, we have accepted this revelation and we have immersed ourselves in it. We will continue to be immersed in this word because this is the astonishing, glorified inheritance that is ready to be revealed. It is close, as we know. And we ought to be prepared. The bride of the Lamb has prepared herself. She has collaborated with God. And we are going to be likened to this bride of the Lamb and will collaborate with God. And in part, three important actions or three verbs in which we are called, or which we are called to coincide with, and which we are called to collaborate with. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. To set aside the old way of life, as we know, is to die. To die to the former way of life. This is to despise the former way of life. This is to place it as an enemy before ourselves. What does this former way of life of the old man mean that we are called to set aside? We ought to know this. 
And we ought to renew our thinking so that we can be clothed. This is comprised of the fact that we ought to know the truth of God that is offered to us in the preached word, having accepted it in the heart. You know, it's wonderful to accept truth in the heart, but we are called to know it as well. We are called not just to meet with it, having accepted it in our heart. We are called to know it, to be united with it, and to become as one with it. This law of God, this word of God, is called to be ours. We are called to purchase it. And of course, we must study it and to know it, to unite with it in one. So this word isn't for us as, oh, this is the word that this person is preaching, or, oh, in that church, this is the word that is spoken. Well, yes, it is said in that church, but this is not the purchased word. When a person says these kinds of words, he witnesses with his lips that he has not purchased this word. He has not paid a price for it. He has not known it. He has not made it his comfort and a part of his life, a part of his image. He has not accepted the message of God and the person whom God has sent. The spirit that was sent by God was evident in John to give the image to the righteous, to give a renewed mind. And how we acknowledge this truth and we renew our thinking, we finally then we receive the opportunity to be clothed in this truth and according to scripture, to be clothed in garments or to be clothed in the garments which God has offered to be clothed into the new man is to be clothed in a linen, pure and bright. And I have written out what is linen. It is something that is worthy of honor. There will likely not be, find, be found anything in comparison to it, even in this modern world. This is such a difficult material. It's not easy to make it, and it costs a lot. But people don't want to pay this kind of lofty price for this fabric, and it's practically inexistent. It is existent historically, and when those that love to search for all kinds of vintage things, they find different items that are ancient fabric, and they are astonished, and I was reading about it. If woman's gloves, this is such a complex material. People say, can't we have something simpler? We look into this truth, we know in it, we dwell in it. Truly, it is a difficult material. No, can't be easier. But if we want to be clothed in a linen, pure and bright, then this is a difficult process. We produce this righteousness. We produce this linen together with God because He is the commander of our faith. According to Scripture, to be clothed in a linen, pure and bright, is to be clothed first in the garments of salvation, second, covered in a robe of righteousness, 
third, decked with ornaments, adorned with the jewels of a bride, fifth, to put on wedding garments, sixth, to put on linen pure and bright, and seven, to accept the representative power of Yahweh of hosts. This is what it means to be clothed in linen pure and bright. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11, the prophet says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, in this manner we are going to be clothed in this garment, just as the earth brings forth its bud, this is the production, the collaboration of God with man. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations because it is great glory to be clothed in this linen of God. We have stopped to study the robe of righteousness, this is a second point, and in part on the measure of that price that is necessary to pay for the right to be clothed in the robes of righteousness. The seventh price or component for the right to be clothed in the robe of righteousness in order to fulfill the justice of God is being clothed in redemption that is yielded in the observance of Pesach according to the statute established by God. The Passover is a Pesach of the Lord. In the original it says that the Pesach before the creation of the world was intended by God to become the blessed fate of all of those that draw near to Him, in which God received the opportunity to fulfill judgment over His enemies. God wants to produce this judgment, but there's a certain rule that He is going to go by, and He will not violate His word. The essence of the promises contained in the Pesach feast were comprised of four components. First, an illegal right to exodus out of Egypt. It symbolized the right to freedom from the vain life and the sinful inheritance that is passed on to us through the perishable seed of our forefathers. Second, an illegal right to enter into the promised land symbolizing the right to partaking to the inheritance of the saints the promised land, the promise of God, which He has promised, because God is unchanging in His word, and this is the treasury of these promises. The key, it is found in the observance of the Pesach. Third, in the legal right to know God and to be perfected in the image of His Son in the process of our communion with Him. He says, if whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man shall be ashamed of him. He will say, I don't want to be near this person. I'm ashamed. People will say, Lord, look, we are your, yours. He will say, I am ashamed. You don't even look like me. I never even knew you. In the process of our communication with Him in the observance of the Pesach feast and forth, and the legal right to prepare ourselves for rapture upon the morning star, and in the right to rapture. This is the true richness of God. In the purposes that are contained in Pesach, that contain our inheritance and our faith in Christ Jesus, we gain uh, seven different blessings. 
first protection from the just anger of God, with simultaneous bringing to fulfillment the judgment of God over our enemies, the just judgment of God. And we have a right to be covered with the name of God in the observance of Pesach. Second, we gain an organized partaking to the blood and the body of the Lord in the face of the heavenly Jerusalem, which points to the fact that in fact we become partakers of God's heritage, not in the moment of our circumcision, but in the moment of eating of the Pesach of the Lord in which we acknowledge God. There are the called and the chosen. When we are chosen when we partake of the Pesach feast. Third blessing is we gain the opportunity to declare or rather exalt the death of the Lord so that in His resurrection we can triumph over sin because it is during the worthy partaking of Pesach the blessed fate of the Son of God will become our fate and our curse becomes His achievement. He has taken up our illnesses, our transgressions and this weight and the result of it were laid upon him. Fourth, we gain freedom from slavery unto Egypt, which also became possible thanks to the worthy partaking of Pesach. Fifth, we gain the right to healing from illnesses, as it is written in Psalms 104.37. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. He healed his inheritance. Because it was specifically in the moment of eating Pesach, God receives the right to place our illnesses upon His Son. And sixth, we gain the right to being enriched in God, which also occurs thanks to the result of worthy observance of Pesach. And He brought Israel out with silver and gold. And we think, why am I not rich? You know, it talks here about silver and gold, but... I have enough to pay my bills and that's it. Here this is referring to the richness of faith. person who is rich in faith, we remember, for example, Lazarus. He was a mighty person. He was so mighty that God sent the angels to carry his body in the den of Abraham. And the rich man, he was just buried. He was no one. And seventh, we gain the legal right to having access to the land in which flows milk and honey, the revelations of God. We gain the right to look at this earth, to touch it, and to test if we are this earth or not. Lord, my soul to you is like a thirsty land. My essence is like a thirsty land. And there begins to flow milk and honey, the treasures of God, the revelation of God. The land in which flows milk and honey symbolizes the new man, born of the unfading seed of the word of God, whereas milk and honey symbolize spiritual food. And for these treasures of the Pesic feast to contain in themselves partaking to the heritage of God and the righteousness of God for them to become a reality for us. Scripture has imputed to us the necessity to fulfill ten conditions that highlight how we ought to prepare and to eat 
the Passover lamb. And these ten requirements are written in the twelfth chapter of the Exodus. First, it had to be separated. Second, to remove all leaven from the home. Third, to anoint the blood, anoint with blood the doorposts and lentils. The whole lamb was called to be baked. We were called to gird ourselves with a sash. We were called to clothe our feet in shoes. Seventh, to take up a staff, to eat the lamb fully. Nine, to eat it with breads and bitter herbs. And tenth, to eat it with haste. The first condition or requirement of Pesach was separating the Passover lamb. On our end, partaking and separating the Passover lamb means to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God for reasonable service. My body is no longer mine. It belongs to God, and therefore I present it to God for reasonable service. And to separate ourselves into a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, is possible upon fulfilling three conditions. The basic lamb is called to be without blemish of the male gender and one year old. We, partaking in this Pesach, we are called to be transformed into His image, to walk along His ways, to become in the likeness of our Lord and Teacher, Jesus Christ. We are called to be transformed into His image and to become likened, to become His body, to become one with Him. To be without blemish means to accept justification as a gift according to the grace and redemption in Christ Jesus. People try to justify themselves. No, there is justification in faith, justification in works. The majority of religions, people create these religions that are prompted by demonic spirits and they mean, and this means that they have to do something. But God has done the work. We accept what God has done for us by faith as a gift of grace, irregardless of works. Righteousness is accepted by men. He becomes the heritage of God. He is an infant, a babe, but he has been born of God, accepted justification as a gift of grace. Second, to meet the requirements of a male gender means in one's dedication to God is necessary to not depend on the old nature. We may say, well, I don't acknowledge the old nature and I won't depend on it. The old nature wants us to fulfill sins, our uh, lusts and desires, all kinds of thoughts. It wants us to serve sin, to serve sin. But I say, I no longer depend on my old man. I have died. I have been freed. The old nature is not the male gender for me. I, my new man, is the Lord and ruler. That's why the old nature I will ignore and not submit to it. This means to fulfill the requirements of the male gender before God. To be one year old means to accept grace in the face of the Holy Spirit and to depend on the Holy Spirit. The year of the redeemed has come, it is written. The time for the Holy Spirit when a person has the opportunity to go into the rest of God. And the promise is given to go into the rest of God. 
And scripture calls, and Apostle Paul says, and we will be likened. We will not be likened to stiff people. They were given the opportunity to enter into the rest of God, but they did not enter into the rest of God. And God, in His anger, swore that they would not enter His rest. They did not listen to Him, and they did not believe. But this promise remains for us and the right to enter into the rest of God. This means to use this year of grace or to be one year old. The second requirement of worthy parting of Pesach was cleansing all kinds of leaven from the home and to prepare. Seven is a fullness, a certain fullness of time. Seven is the number of fullness. A person was called to not mix what it was divine with what was human. The harlot she mixed in Babylon is a mix of what is divine with what is human. We are called for this word of God to penetrate in us the separation of the spirit and soul and to allow the word to judge us and to separate in us and to partake in this separation, to partake in this judgment. A person was called to bake the bread and to eat of it. The third condition or requirement that yields worthy partaking of Pesach was anointing the doorpost and the lentils of the door with the blood of the pierced lamb to carry a sign before God that I am redeemed. I accept by faith I don't believe people say I don't believe that God will save me well this is a person that makes this decision God offers to him and says choose life or death you choose yourself I won't pressure you I won't force you you choose either life or death if you want to choose life then do this place on the doorposts and on the lentils with your lips your faith before God having been found in a church. Lay this blood on the spirit, soul, and body, the doorposts and the lentils of the door. The fourth condition or requirement was to bake the whole lamb in fire, so to allow the fire to test, because the tested, the tested fate of man is going to be immovable, unshakable. God had said everything will shake so that it could become unshakable. The kingdom can become unshakable so that it can never be changed. There will no longer be wicked there. Nothing unclean will enter there. But only those whose names are written in the, by the Lamb in the Book of Life. And for this, we ought to allow God to test ourselves. Therefore, a tested person and is a firmed person before God. The fifth condition or requirement yielding the worthy partingi of Pesach is to be girded with a sash. And the sixth condition or requirement of worthy partaking of Pesach is a necessity to have 
shoes, sandals on our feet. Exodus 12, 11. And thus you shall eat it, a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Sandals on our feet, allowing us to worthy partake of the Pesach of the Lord, is an image in which we are called to be the light to the world. Ephesians 6, 14-15 And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In Scripture, to be a light simultaneously also means to be salt, which points to the origin and property of this light. Matthew 5.13, the words of Jesus Christ, Be worthy salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt in the dignity of the fruit of holiness. Salt tells us about holiness. This is the true result that occurs from the action of true light. And therefore, true light is always salt, and salt is always true light. Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. True light, in the image of sandals, revealing itself in holiness, is a kind of expression that has two different polarities, peace and enmity, or love and hatred. This is firmness. There is peace and enmity. There is no peace for the wicked, says God. He says, have enmity to the Moabites and destroy them. Because there is no peace for the wicked, says God. And so to have sandals on our feet means to shine on the earth and to be a salt to the earth in order to separate light from darkness. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so, to have sandals on our feet, or rather to be a light, it is necessary to dwell in light and to allow the light in the face of two witnesses, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. For God to protect and to present our interests that are expressed in His promises, it is necessary for us to dwell in God. And this kind of dwelling and communication with God requires that we, in His presence, take off our shoes. Because when we dwell in God, then He carries full responsibility for us and represents our interests before Himself, before the world, and before hell. Exodus 3.5, or Joshua 5.15 says, Then He said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The holy ground is the Church of Jesus Christ. Being found in church is necessary to take off our sandals from our feet. Otherwise, the Lord is going to destroy this person. He said, do not draw near. Otherwise, I will kill you if you make one more step forward. When he went to go look at this great sign, and God allowed him to draw close up until a certain moment. In a certain moment, he said, stop, do not draw closer. This is the holy land. Take off the shoes, sandals from your feet. We know that to take sandals off means to stop being a light to God. God knows 
what he needs to do and how he needs to look. God is the light and in him there is no darkness. And when he dwells in us, we are called to put sandals on our feet to represent the interests of his light and salt before the heavenly hierarchies, before the world and before hell. And so the reason to take off our sandals in the presence of God is comprised of the fact that first, take off our sandals in the presence of God means that we are not the light to God, but He is the light to us. And second, to take the sandals in the presence of God off means that we are not salt for Him that highlight the boundaries of His holiness, but He is for us. And so, when we are found in His presence, we then have no need to trample on the lion and dragon, because when we are found in the place of His presence, and in His presence, they simply do not exist. Let them dare to try. This is horrific. For these enemies, there is no place in the depths of God. And I have cast you out, Cherubim, from this holy place, from this holy land. And of course, as we know, a carnal place, carnal people like these the territory that does not belong to him. And the seventh condition that yields the worthy partaking of Pesach is a necessity to have a staff in our hands. There are ten conditions total, but we will stop to study the seventh one. Exodus 12:11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. First, the staff in the dignity of a rod is one of the names and dignities of the seed of the wife in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, a staff in the dignity of a rod is presented as the truth of the word of God that comes from the lips of God. And third, the staff in the dignity of a rod in the ancient world was one of the symbols of authority and the carriers of this authority identified what they served. Hebrews 11.21 By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. To lean on top of the staff means to be dead to fulfillment of one's own desires in order to fulfill the desires of God. Fourth, the staff in the dignity of a scepter served as a symbol of favor. Esther 8.4 And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. So it's a certain kind of mercy. He could have not done this action and not stretch out his scepter. And then this person's face would have been covered and she would never 
we know that there is one verdict for this person, death. The name of God in the dignity of a rod was called to be one of the forms of weapons both for protection and for attack. Isaiah 11.4 But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. A staff in the dignity of a rod was one of the measuring tools. It is said, go and measure the temple and the sanctuary and those that serve in it. God gives this preached word and places it in the lips of his messenger. And the messenger of God, preaching about the word, he gives this measure and this measuring reed acts and the holy children of God that love God, that live in his order, that tremble before his word, that have the power to be children of God and the right to be found in the mountain of God. They also can measure themselves with this word. Do they coincide with it? It is written, that's why we are going to be very attentive to what we hear so that we do not fall away. A person who is not attentive to the words of God, or the works of God, an inattentive person, is a potentially dead person. That's why we will be rather attentive to what we hear. Due to unattentiveness, people fall away. And when this read, when God gives this read according to His mercy, we are called to define the measure of faith and then we can grow. Sometimes people have a difficulty and they say, I don't know where I am, uh, what I'm doing. Well, of course, that's going to be difficult for them to grow. Why then is a read given? Why did God place us there where the preached word is spoken, the word of God that is anointed by the Holy Spirit in the lips of the messenger of God, that we have the chance to fix if we see that something is incorrect so that I can quickly fix myself. Seventh, the name of God and the dignity of a staff and rod is called to be evident for us and the, and the weapon of our comfort when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalms 23, 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Eighth, the eighth definition of the name of God in the dignity of a rod and staff is the ability to receive the authority to governing over oneself. And a very important component and studying the staff of Moses, which was made a standard of example for Elijah, we should note that first, before Moses could eat of the Pesach of the Lord, God did with him and in him great work in relation to his staff. And second, because the people listened to the voice of Moses, God imputed and transformed the property of the staff of Moses An interesting thing had occurred. God imputes this righteousness 
irregardless of works, when a person begins to collaborate with this righteousness. The Lord said to Moses, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Exodus 4, 2-4. This is written. We'll read it again. So the Lord said to Moses, What is in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Moses was obedient here to the Lord, and he was a rather humble person. He needed to take the serpent. Therefore, he took it. What needs to be done like this? And that is what he did. That is what the word, preached word of God says. That is what the messenger says. We know that the tail of any kind of reptiles, and we've already heard this many times, uh, is their wheel with which they control the direction. Therefore, the wheel of whoever is behind the wheel of some kind of subject will direct it where it wants to go. After this event, God told Moses for him to go to Egypt. Moses did not understand that he is living with the serpent, that he is walking with the serpent, sleeping with it. But God gave him this revelation when he said, throw it. person throws it, and then all of a sudden he realizes that this was and is a serpent. Exodus 4.17, And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you will do the signs, which Moses had fulfilled in exactness. Exodus 4.20, Then Moses took his wife and his sons and sent them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand, no longer his rod, but the rod of God. We do not belong to ourselves. God has redeemed us. Our bodies are the temple of the living God. We are purchased with a valuable price. Therefore, we ought to praise God in our works and in our souls. And so in this event, we saw how one and the same rod, which first was called the rod of man, but then after certain events began to, began to be called the rod of God. And so eating of the Pesach of the Lord without the rod in our hands means that we do not govern over ourselves Rather, we partake in it incorrectly. We do not behave as those that are redeemed. We behave as those that are servants. Someone who is redeemed, he is freed from a leprosy of sin. He is freed from carnal nature. But a person who is redeemed, behaves as him who lives in the freedom of the Lord. We eat the Pesach unworthily if we do not hold our rod in our hands. It needs to be in our hands. And then we judge, we eat in judgment to ourselves by violating Pesach and the statutes that are involved in partaking of Pesach. Because without governing over ourselves, we cannot collaborate with God neither in the deliverance of ourselves from curse, 
and we cannot realize the inheritance that is contained in the purpose of Pesach. Many of us were and continue to be taught the observance of this Pesach when this man of God says, repeat after me, or rather the prayer, the prayer when he says, each time when we come out to the altar to pray, he says, repeat after me. And we continue to be taught, take him by the tail. I reject, and I've had instances, I come to pastor and I say, pastor, it's so difficult for me. Um, what shall I do? He says, well, take this serpent by the tail, right now, repeat after me. All of a sudden I've prayed, and then notice it's become easy. There is ease. I notice that ease is temporary, and then all of a sudden difficulties come upon again. But the Lord has already said, take these words which you learn from the Messenger of God and begin to proclaim them. Without governing over ourselves, we cannot collaborate with God. The fleshly nature will not allow itself to collaborate with God and realize the inheritance that is contained in Pesach. Someone who does not govern over himself, who does not hold the rod in his hand, is a person that does not have a sovereign does not govern over his sovereign rights. It's a servant. It says, cast out the woman, the bondwoman and her son. We know that Jerusalem on high is the mother to the sons of liberty, but previous Jerusalem with its children is in slavery. And someone who does not have sovereignty is a slave but you know that the highest level of liberty is voluntary representation presentation of oneself into slavery to god there is no greater opportunity in the heavenly kingdom in the new coming world there is no greater opportunity in liberty than to be a servant of the lord funny instance but I shall share nonetheless a person uh, there was things going poorly in his life and he said Dima he is older than me he says purchase me as a slave and I say to him you know I'll think about it I don't know how much you cost how how much are your debts <laughs> but he was prompting me to purchase him as a slave I looked at him and said I don't need this kind of servant you're lazy evil. If I were to purchase a slave, I'm a businessman. I don't need the kind of investment that is you. Therefore, Lord, we want him to take us into slavery for us to be servants of the Lord. But to be a slave of God is the greatest honor. And then, okay, if I take you as a servant, then I need to uh, pay rent for you, I need to take care of you, and I refuse to purchase him. Of course, this is a joke, but the offer was still valid on his end. He was in such high debt, and he thought that I had free money and I could purchase people and pay off their debts. 
But when God takes a person into slavery, He presents to him a high privilege to be a servant of the Lord. And this is a great portion. That is why in his time Jesus, sending his disciples to preach there where he himself wanted to go to represent the interests of the kingdom of heaven, he gave him the following commandment. Mark 6, 8, he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, to not take anything. Only take your staff. The staff ought to be in your hand. From which it follows that if we are not familiar, if we are poorly familiar with how we ought to behave towards our staff and how to use it for it to become the staff of God, we will never be able to govern over our corrupting desires. And therefore, we will never be able to worthily partake of the basic lamb in order to gain the inheritance of the life of God that is contained in the worthy partaking of Pesach. And this is the eighth point. The ninth, the name of God, the dignity of rod and staff, is called to lead us into the bonds of the covenant and to separate from its portion the rebels and the disobedient. Ezekiel 20, 37-38, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. He will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. According to these words, it follows that in order to enter into the bonds of the covenant, it is necessary to go under the rod of God, which is called to enlighten us in relation to our obligations. Here, the rod of God is called to enlighten us of the obligations that we are called to hold on to and not violate so that we can have a relationship with God in the bonds of His covenant to be His slave. We seek for this high privilege but we are called to receive the status of a slave or a servant of the Lord and we are called to go under the rod. And so to go under the rod of God means to receive through instruction and faith knowledge of the truth that yields the order contained in the bonds of the covenant that is the definition of divine order in the limits of the body of Christ. That is why we, with such trembling, prepare to service towards hearing the word of God. That is why this is important for us. And the more we wait for the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus the day in which He in our bodies will produce His sign. He will clothe us. He will clothe us in resurrection and life. And then the word that is written, death is overcome by victory. And we wait for this day and we live according to this day. We walk. We see this day. It is near. We call the inexistent in the visible world as existent because we have accepted this word in our heart. And Jesus Christ said that when you see all of these things occurring, lift up your heads for the day of your deliverance is coming. And it's truly I say to you, no generation will pass until all of this is fulfilled. And in the limits of the body of Christ, 
is revealed this order, this bond, this instruction, and this rod works, in which we say, okay, I must go under it. You know, I walk, I go, I go, and then all of a sudden, a rod, here. What must I do? I must, as it is written, let every mountain and hill every valley and depth let them be higher God with his rod shows what should be brought up and what should be brought down and a person ought to humble himself otherwise and let the Lord keep us for him to show this in us it's good when he shows something in us when something in us is revealed and I have noted this for myself okay something is real this means that this must be separated I must separate myself from this that what that which is magnified in me is in my, is my enemy I must this is the Moabite And God will never cast out the sons of Israel. He will cast out and purge the rebels, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the those that dwell in the land of Canaan and those that dwell there. But those to whom God did not give this land to, they took it for the sins of the people for certain reasons. They lived there. But this land does not belong to us according to Scripture. This is the land of Israel. This is the land of God. And on the land of God, these people shall not dwell. And it is in this moment when the word of truth will enlighten us in relation to the order that is contained in the bonds of His covenant. The holiness of this order will produce separation between those who are obedient to this order and those rebels that resist it. Jude 1.5 But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And there, furthermore, you'll remember uh, the angels that were holy angels of God that were created, but that they, them who did not keep their dignity, they, he cast them out. He deprived them of their dignity and he cast them out. Same thing happens here. The kingdom of God on earth is the church of Jesus Christ, the true church in which exists God's order, in which there is the man that has been placed by God, who carries a responsibility, who has helpers, and all of us as one body represent the interests, represent the interests of God in this manner. And this word comes through the apostle in the church. Tenth. The tenth component the tenth component of this meaning in the name of God staff is a weapon with which we are called to tend to the thinking Micah seven fourteen shepherd your people with your staff staff, the flock of your heritage, who 
who dwell solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel, let them feed it in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of the old. We know that these are not our sheep. They have become our sheep, but God, when we tend to the sheep of our Father, God has created such an order. Listen, children, to your Father. We begin to listen and we begin to learn. We begin to shepherd. Apostle said, look at that image. Imitate us as we imitate Christ and look at that image that you have in us. And so, learn this thinking from the fathers of the church. We are the sons of apostles of the Lord and sheep. The sheep of our Father, when we shepherd them, over time God makes these sheep ours. And here it is said that we are called to shepherd the sheep with renewed thinking. Thinking has been renewed, and the Lord in this manner views us. So, to shepherd our sheep with the rod of God means to shepherd our thinking in which God dwells, where God favors to dwell. And so, to dwell or to shepherd with the staff of God among the truths that are contained in the midst of carnal, Bashan and Gilead is a kind of sanctification that points to the state of our heart which is separated from the cares of this world and second it is a dependence of a person it is the dependence on the person sent by God to represent the rod of his lips like on Sunday we carried out a certain a service not being present in body but being present in spirit I noticed this in myself when there's always service you know I remember long ago when the Lord taught us in the very beginning to make the first steps I knew that the breaking of bread once a month then it was a lot for me I ought to be prepared I constantly prepared I was worried that I would be prepared for this that I can keep myself in purity and here in the church and if I am behaving incorrectly others will see I thought that's why I learned to behave myself in such a manner let's say even if I've missed service as if I was there not being present in body but being present in spirit but this was a whole year for us and it was wonderful we behaved as if there was church as if three days a week we went before the face of the Lord we represent ourselves into the presence of God and the most important in the presence of his delegated word were it to sanctify us and for it to test us this is the format of sanctification that the Lord has given us and we are called to be dependent on the person whom God has placed as the rod of his lips Someone with an unrenewed thinking cannot place himself correctly dependent on the rod of God in the face of the person sent by God, who is called by God to bring his sheep in solitarity in Carmel, Bashan, and Gilead. 
Carmel is a garden and vineyard with fruit trees. The truth of Carmel points to the new wine in the face of the Holy Spirit that is called to make our heart a vineyard in which grows all kinds of fruit trees. And so, to shepherd solitarily in Carmel is to feed from a kind of truth that will allow us to grow in our heart the seed of truth that is yielded as a vineyard and contains fruit trees. As a result, in communication with God, the Holy Spirit will become a new wine for us, and we for our Heavenly Father will also become a new wine because we are going to be drenched and filled, and Pastor constantly prays about this in service, and we hear these words, fill us with the Holy Spirit, or fill us with this new wine, so that we can be filled in such a way. And a person, uh, he works with me, and I, walking by him, smelled alcohol, and I said to him, you know, you know that according to Scripture, to be great before God is to not drink wine and alcoholic drink. You probably don't care to be great before God. This person was afraid. He said, he didn't tell me right away, but the next day he calls and says, I want to say that I don't drink wine. I ate two candies. They were filled with rum, and I ate them, and I probably smelled of alcohol. We are called to be drenched, so for the Lord we can be like this new wine. I believe that the Lord hears the words of His Anointed One. He answers Him from His holy heavens, and He makes these those that walk in obedience and imitate this person, He makes them filled with this new wine. God hears the words, and He makes this according to the prayer of God's Anointed One. will become a new wine that brings joy to the Heavenly Father. The kingdom of heaven in us, comprised of the fruit of the Spirit expressed in unblemished joy, makes us new wine in the eyes of God. The blessing of Bashan. Bashan is a soft, fertile soil. This is what how we ought to care for ourselves when we go in to the house of God. The truth of Bashan uncovers the principle of tending to the soil of our garden, which is called to make the soil of our heart soft and fruit and fruitful, that is capable of accepting the seed of every promise containing in itself the power of the kingdom of heaven, and growing this seed to full maturation of the fruit of righteousness in which we are called to fulfill the justice of God. We are called to care for this. You know, we, will, we go to service, to church, uh, as a habit, but in this habit, there must be a kind of character trait developed. My heart must be soft. It must be gentle. What the Gentle to what the Lord wants to teach me today. What He wants to clothe me in today. A linen garment is a very complex material. I am called to be prepared. Perhaps I will hear some kind of difficult truths. I, won't, I might not understand them. When they are very difficult, it's difficult to understand them. But, you know, when the heart is soft, I will be able to accept them. When I have accepted them, I will understand them later.
Gilead is the hill of testimony. This is the definition. It is the hill of testimony. Gilead is the place where Jacob and Laban made a union to not go beyond this hill and beyond this remembrance for evil. The truth of Gilead uncovers the principles between Jacob, who represents our new man, and between Laban, who represents our soul. There's a kind of sign, hill of testimony. And so according to these three truths, to shepherd the sheep of our thinking with the rod of God in the solitarily in Carmel, Bashan, and Gilead means to not gather treasures for ourselves on earth, but to gather treasures in heaven, or rather to ponder upon what is heavenly and not what is earthly. Our Lord and Teacher had taught with these words, Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. From which it follows that if we are not f- familiar, if we are poorly familiar with how we should shepherd our thinking with the rod of God, solitarily among the tops and valleys of Mount Carmel, Bashan, and Gilead, we will never be able to dwell in the mystery in which God dwells. And the Lord is merciful who teaches us this wisdom. And consequently, we will never be able to worthily partake of the Pesach lamb in order to have the inheritance of the life of God contained in Pesach. We see that there is a negative image and a positive. We are called to reject lies. We are called to reject lack. We are called to reject all kinds of incapability, weakness, that which is not pleasing to God because the lamb is called to be in a certain way and the staff must be in the hands of a person. And of course, there exists a big difference between the property and the opportunities of the rod of God and the rod of man. It's important to look at look at it in this sense and to see once again what is the rod of God and the rod of man. First, to be the rod of man means to belong to oneself, to hope in oneself, to depend on oneself, which means which means to be a servant of the flesh. We say, we want to be servants of the Lord. Lord, I want to be your servant. This is so desirable and so astonishing. But look here. Then we are called to reject this rod of man, open oneself and belonging to oneself to depend on oneself. This is to be a servant of the flesh. And to be the rod of God means to belong to God, to hope in God and to depend on God, which means to have the dignity of the servant of the Lord or to be a servant of righteousness. Romans 6.15 Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to obey, yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Second, to be the rod of man means to have the property and characteristics of the old man. 
and to be the rod of God means to have the property and characteristics of God that are contained in the characteristics of the new innermost man born by God in Christ Jesus, which is continually renewed in the knowledge and image of God. Colossians 3.10 And you have put on the new man which is who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And we know that the old man, flesh, what is included in the flesh, all kinds of thoughts, adultery, lusts, passions, desires. Third, to be the rod of man means to judge oneself from the position of one's own human capabilities. Hosea 4.12 My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. But to be the staff of God means to judge of oneself from the position of the capabilities of God. Here we see, well, this is what I see. What kind of rod is this for you? Do you believe that this is the rod of God? The rod of God is found in the hands of Moses and the hands of the person sent by God. If you don't see just as God's person sees, then you unfaithfully see, then you are adulterous. And you ask and you will not receive because you ask in order to satisfy your lusts. You desire yet not have because you do not ask and so forth. Harlots, do you not know that this kind of friendship and belonging and this rod of man is enmity against God? But we are called to judge ourselves from the position of the capabilities of God. And God says, you say, I am weak. God says, do not say that you are weak. Say that you are strong. How am I so weak? Say that you are strong. This is what the Lord says. And when we hear, we say, I thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed me and justified. And we begin to proclaim this. And this justification begins to pour out in us. And we feel all of a sudden the, the weight departs and a person feels renewal. Or, to be the rod of man means to be led by one's own lusts. And to be the rod of God means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Fifth, to be the rod of man means to have the opportunity to create wonders with the powers of darkness. Whereas to be the rod of God means to act, or rather to use the rod according to the will of God. Exodus 7, 10 through 12, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did it in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became servants. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. One who throws his rod according to the command of God represents a person who has despised his soul on the subject of his sinful life inherited from the fathers, which in practice means that he has refused to fulfill the desires of his flesh. Colossians 3.5 Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. A person who has taken 
The serpent, by tail, receives the right and the opportunity to control oneself and to judge oneself from the position of the truth of Scripture that is contained in the pierced lamb. Again, I'm reminding you what it means to hold the Pesach in the hand. Thanks to this kind of action, we receive the right to represent the interests of divine justice in order to overcome any kind of resistance to the will of God and to captivate this resistance to obey Christ. We should note that this kind of resistance to the enemies of the will of God was necessary to demonstrate before partaking Pesach, otherwise we will partake in Pesach in judgment to oneself. I will provide, uh, our pastor says, I'll provide places of scripture in which the rod partook, representing the interests of the will of God before the exit of the people of Israel out of Egypt. Although the partaking of this rod was revealed not just in Egypt, but in all time, the first place of resistance to the will of God and preparing a person to the worthy partaking of the Pesic lamb were the sorcerers of Pharaoh. Exodus 7, 10, 12. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and he became a serpent. Every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. It should be reminded that Egypt's, apart from the Gentiles, as the Jews, they had accepted circumcision. That's why they were an image of people who were born again, but those that are carnal and fleshly, those that are called. We hear scripture characterize them as called. Many are called. Many are those that are carnal, who have been born again, who have turned to God. But this is not enough. One ought to be chosen. Pharaoh is an image of the thinking of a carnal person that is that all carnal people are led by in the image of their will. They built pyramids. They still, engineers, thought how could they have reached this kind of civilization, this kind of engineering, how could they have built these pyramids? But carnal people, as a rule, will pass along their powers to spiritual people as it was happened with Pharaoh and Joseph. When the time of infancy flows out and a person refuses to pay the price for exiting out of infancy, his priorities change and he begins to see himself as spiritual. And consequently, his thinking changes in his relationship towards the descendants of Joseph. There's a different kind of Pharaoh that arises and that did not know Joseph as a savior of the world, because of which he begins to resist the descendants of Joseph or the descendants of the faith of Abraham. If we notice this, we need to run this as from some kind of horror, from some kind of serpent, and care to... Because the time of infancy is running out and a person must understand these priorities which God places for him. The rods of the sorcerer symbolize the power of resistance of wicked thinking and wicked people with which we will meet with and encounter but must resist with the rod of God. 
Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their fall will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. This was because they were carnal. They were disapproved concerning the faith. They didn't know what the faith of God was. And they They will progress no further, for their fall will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. You know, in that moment, when we, wise, for the wise virgins, the five wise virgins, all of a sudden, at the beginning of the week, at the first day, as we heard, their bodies will be transformed, or will be clothed in imperishability. This foolishness will be uncovered in these carnal people. This is the prophetic word about that time. Because then it will become clear. People will say, well, why? You said, Janice and Jabris, you said that everything was fine, that everything was going well, and the Lord will give you success, and the Lord is going to be with you. But why those people all of a sudden are clothed in their bodies? God is doing something astonishing. How come ours are not being changed? And they run and they say, we also want what you have. But the wise say, it's a price that needs to be paid. Go to those that sell. We will not give you, you must go to those that sell and purchase it. And these are those that are distorted in their mind because their mind is not renewed. They have not become disciples. How can a person, not being a disciple, have a renewed mind? He became a teacher in his own eyes. This was popular before. If a person was believed, began to believe, he is then taken and placed on the pulpit. Uh, either a young person or old person, he is placed on the pulpit to preach. But that's not correct. And Jesus Christ talked about this in this way. Woe to you that you care as there's this one song. You bring a kind of sheep. You can't give them and place them, explain to them what God's order is. That dwelling in this order, they need to renew their thinking. The brother begins to preach and he begins to be told, oh, you have a gift. And then he begins to see the gift and then he says, I have a gift from the Lord. I preach glory be unto me. And then he became two times worse than these so-called teachers. That's why they're distorted in their minds. And who are those that are corrupt-minded that we ought to resist and overcome? that we can worthily partake of the Pesach of the Lord and to become a part of the inheritance that is contained in the observance of Pesach. Those with corrupt minds are those that drink wine and depend on it. The ignorant are those that are unworthy, that are incapable of any good work. But you know what the difficulty is? They have an appearance of godliness. 
Second, the place of resistance of the will of God in preparing a person to worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb was the water of Egypt. Exodus 7.20 And Moses and Aaron struck, lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the water in the sight of the Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, and all the water turned to blood. In Scripture, the water of the river is an image of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the faith teaching as well as an image of an un- unclean spirit and the rod of God in the hands of Aaron symbolized the movement of the Holy Spirit. Our lips are our rod, and the proclamation of our lips directs us. And depending on what rod we are, that rod will direct us. John 7:38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says this of the Spirit. If the proclamation of our lips is the production of the distorted truth, then the seduce, then he who seduces will will control us. The Nile River, which was hit with the rod of God, symbolized an evil spirit that stepped out under the name of the Holy Spirit and that produced false teachings. Our time for today has gone out. There are a few more places here, but we will leave this. And if God will extend His mercy, then we will move further. And Pastor has given us these seven explanation statutes of the Lord, Pasek, how to prepare oneself to worthily partaking of Pesach. And then the three following ones is what the what the lamb has to be itself, and we will continue our study further. There are a few more places of scripture that are left, and you are able to study this during your free time. And I will not return to this again, but these are very important things. The places of the resistance of the will of God or the rod of God resisting the Janus and Jambres that had resisted Moses. We will understand these things and show God's verity, having cooperated with the rod of God. We will pray together, and may you be blessed. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your truth, for the Holy Spirit, for the royal authority in which you called us to your presence and have spoken to us that you want to make us your servants we have seen we have seen this great calling we have heard 
that your servants will see your countenance. And we were caught up in the snares of your word, the kingdom of heaven. You have led us and have overcome because you are stronger. He who is in us is stronger than he who is in this world. He who is in our spirit that reigns is stronger than the flesh. And we have believed this word. Having been newborns, but having in ourselves your genes being the divine heritage, we have believed your words and have followed after you. You have made us your disciples. You have, we have left the cares of this world and have strived to imperishable riches. We thank you for these great and precious promises. We thank you for the church, the church which is the house of God. We thank you for the holy nation of God, for your holy order, and for your messenger, our pastor and apostle of Christ. Brother Akadi, we thank you for this person and we bless him with your holy name with all our heart from your house. We are separated in body and present time but you are united in spirit. We are united in a way so that we may die together and live together. We thank you for this unanimity, for this love. You have made us one dough, one body, one people. Your partakers of your body you have made us partakers of the congregation in which we receive abundant instructions that the word of God can dwell in us abundantly with all wisdom and we thank you for this we thank you for the image of the Pesach lamb which you uncover and we can be transformed into this image and be just as him likened unto him his bride his friend and you teach this to us through your eunuch through the person who has dedicated himself to service fully and completely. 
May your saints be blessed. May our pastor and his house be blessed in this difficult, special time. May your protection be upon him. We thank you that we are one and that we are able to be together in life and in death. And if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And if one member rejoices, the whole body rejoices. Therefore we will rejoice over your word as those that have received a great reward. We pray for the quick restoration of the body of our Father so that He can be with us and rejoice in this holy communication. May your word, mighty and powerful, be in us, those who believe and trust in this word. May we come to fullness. May we come from strength to strength and appear before you in Zion. May that word be blessed that you send to us in the coming services on Friday and on Sunday. We are going to prepare ourselves to hearing your word. We will prepare our hearts to be transformed by this word and to transform into the image of this word that when you come, you can know us so that you can partake of your holy inheritance that is filled with the Holy Spirit and rejoice and be satisfied new wine. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and joy before your countenance. May your order be blessed. All of your saints, each one in their own work and their own service, may our musicians be blessed our singers, our ushers, our ministers. May your fear and may we be filled with your fear and with love toward one another before your countenance. We thank you and we bow down before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen
and we will conclude with our manifest. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.